May 13, 2019. It's a Watt from Pedro show.
Watch for Pedro Show. Uh, we got the May Gray here in Pedro. I'm in my pad. Uh, I'll see Brother Matt Thursday. But I'm not man alone because uh, the wonders of uh, those engineers in Estonia with their Skype software. I got Lisa Belladonna with me. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Mike? You, you, uh, I'm glad to be talking with you. You're in Ohio? I am. Which part? Uh, I'm in what's called Hocking Hills, Ohio. What it's kind way of hills? Out the country. Excuse me? What kind of hills? It's called Hocking Hills. Hocking Hills. What, what big towns are by? Uh, it's basically not near a town. It's about an hour and a half away from any town. It's out in the forests. Yeah, okay, forests what is the Ohio. closest big town? Excuse me? What is the closest big town? Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Okay, so it's kind of in the south. Okay. Yeah. Is it west, north, east, south? Southeast. Okay, yeah. so so on the way to Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I, I can picture it because I've played many, many times in Ohio. And, uh, That's what I heard. And actually, I played with a cat Ed, from Ohio for seven and a half years. And he went to yeah. school in Columbus, but he was from the east side, a little town called Toronto, not the Canada one, but the Ohio one. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know what it is. It's by, uh, I think the big town by it is Steubenville. Okay. Yep, that's correct. Near Pittsburgh. Anyway, I should tell people what we started the show off with, John Cotrain doing, but not for me. And then Beautiful. Lisa Belladonna with Cahotec, which is probably named after Comet. <laughs> yeah. Well, they named Pretty it after much. something, right? Mm-hmm. I think maybe a native thing or something. I can't remember. Uh, but what I want to know, Lisa, is your earliest music recollection. Um, I would say the most significant one would be uh, when I lived in the Cleveland area, I used to get my niece, or I'm sorry, my uh, cousin used to babysit me all the time, and she was a teenager. And I'd say at age three, she played Black Sabbath for me, and it pretty much changed my life. <laughs> so, you so, know. <laughs> your niece? Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I missed, I had made a mistake. No, she was my cousin. She was my uh, okay. aunt's daughter. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I know of situations where a niece is older than an aunt. Believe it or not. Yeah. It's not that oh, yeah, common. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not that common. Okay, so you, you, she was three, but how old were you? I was three. No, oh. she was a teenager. She's a teenager. I was, okay, I, I got I was it all three years up. old. Okay, yeah, she used to you. babysit me all the time. She took me to a Aerosmith sound check in like 75 or 6, and that also blew me away. That was a pretty remarkable experience at that time. Five or six to see Aerosmith. I saw Aerosmith blown away by uh, ZZ Top. That was really great. <laughs> this is before the pink cowboy hats and shit. Um, yeah. Okay, well, so know. the pad you grew up in, was there musical instruments, you know, in the living room, in the house, the piano? No, no. Were your parents uh, uh, players? My aunt was a player. She was a country okay. and western musician. 
So that household was basically my musical household. You know, she had a big world tour organ with all the lights and stuff. Sure. And uh, like I said, her daughter was the one that turned me on to, you know, stuff of the 70s, which I'm a child of, you know, um, Aerosmith and Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and Uriah Heap and stuff like that, you know. So th then, there was um, no instruments in your pad, but you would go over to your aunt's. And that's where the music, not just listening, but also stuff you could play on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And did you play on that organ? Oh, every chance I got. Okay. You did you, uh, what about lessons or something? Um, no, no real formal lessons. Okay. Did she show you stuff, your aunt? Um, not really. Okay. You know, she just let me go nuts on the organ all the time. And, what about know, at school, really Lisa? She didn't really let me play her guitar. Oh, she had a guitar also? Oh, she was, yeah, she was a great uh, country and western guitarist. You know, okay, so like an acoustic? style. Like an acoustic guitar? Yes, Okay. correct. What about at school? Were you in the choir or the school band, the marching band, shit like that? No, no, none of that. Did, did your school have it? Uh, yes. Because, um, you know, nowadays a lot of schools, they don't have that stuff. No, they don't. And um, I mean, so that's why really I asked the question. A huge because, impression you know, on me was a stepdad, and okay. uh, his name was Dana, and he had a really extensive record collection. I mean, really extensive, not not necessarily huge, just really dynamic. And uh, this was about the time I was maybe eight or nine when he and my mother married, and he turned me on to so much stuff. And that's where I first started to be able to have an instrument in my hands. You know, I've got... Oh, so um, this record collection of your stepfathers inspired you to start making music. Oh, well, I mean, I was addicted by the time, you know, I was three. You know, I, another thing I kind of left out is my mother used to be a hostess manager for Holiday Inns up in the Cleveland area. And so she would take me with her during the day and I would watch bands rehearse. So, you know, I would eventually just, like, sit patiently and wait my turn to pester the musicians. You know, I got to play my first, you know, first time I ever get to sit behind a drum kit. It was a big, green, clear Vista light kit. And um, Ludwig. just stuff like that, you know. My mom took me to a biker's house, and he had his huge Hammond B3 with two Leslies, and he was playing July Morning by Uriah Heep. I remember I mean, that, and that song. was like, that was an amazing experience. And then he let me sit down and like, this thing was so loud and powerful sounding, you know. So, I mean, little tiny, tiny bits, you know, but I didn't you really know who was really in into uh, Uriah Heep. Uh, Greg Ginn from Black Flag, believe it or not. Really? That's what That's he told awesome. me. Yeah, yeah. But I remember July morning. It was a big power ballad. Big power and, ballad. Uh, I think bass player got electrocuted to death. And actually, their last bass player. Maybe they're still playing. What was the guy, the organ man's name? I think he still got it, or Mick, the, the guitar. Yeah, he's still around, Ken Hensley. That's his name, Ken Hensley. But Mick Box mm -hmm. was the guitar man. But the last uh, bass player, you know, they still tore around as oldies act, and, and was was uh, who's that guy for the Spiders of Mars? Uh, 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 Trevor Boulder. Trevor Boulder. Trevor Boulder. Big influence on me. Yeah. He's anyway, great. Uh, okay. So this biker guy played two July. Morning on on organ, uh, yeah. I, I yeah. got a trio with a Leslie player. There's nothing like that. 
There's no. nothing like it. Yeah, the sound is like, oh my god. Uh, okay. Were you attracted to keyboards? Because you brought up the organ at your aunt's, the, the the biker's organ. Oh yes, very much so. There was you something know. about the keyboard. Okay, not so much Absolutely. piano, but like uh, the organ, the, the big full notes. Yeah, Legato. the piano came much later. Okay, much much later. So, so did you take any music in school, like high school or junior high or grade school? No. No, I lived at the library as okay. a teenager, and okay. I'm. Self-taught, except when I was in high school, I had a teacher who was so, she admired my musical knowledge already that she helped me study classical scores you know, uh, in high school. And okay. so that would say that's the most formal training I ever had. And she was really awesome. She was, she had perfect pitch and she was just really deep, you know, and really had a broad spectrum of what she knew about music. What was her and, name? Jean Singer okay, was her give name. Us some credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right, Jean Singer. Yeah, thank you, Miss Singer. Yeah, uh, I want to play uh, paraphonic pre prelude preludium. Pre preludium. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Okay, here we go.
Thank you. 
Watch for Pedro Show. We heard paraphonic preludium. Preludium. That's correct. Preludium. Preludium. Okay. Take your preludiums. Uh, Lisa Belladonna and uh, King Champion Sounds, brand new out of Netherlands with the cerebrum bum. <laughs> uh, now they're from England, uh, South London, I think. Okay. And a new album. I don't look forward to the day when I have to throw this jumper away. <laughs> oh yeah, jumper over here. That's kind of a dress, right? And I think over there it's a sweater. Okay. Like girls wear a jumper. I remember my sisters, my ma saying something about a jumper, little dresses or something. But I met over there a couple of years ago. I was playing with this guy, and, and he called a sweater. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we're we two people divided by a common language. <laughs> That's right. And from southern uh, London, I know these guys for sure, crushed by pimps with Thurston Less, and guided by voices mm-hmm. out of uh, Dayton, Ohio, Mr. Bob Pollard. Yep. Beautiful man, uh, incredibly Mitch prolific. Mitchell. He's working on his, uh, I think, 103rd album. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bad Love is Easy to Do, and then Red Veils by Lisa Belladonna. Okay, so did, did you go to college after high school? Briefly. I was too busy gigging. Okay, so you're, okay, you, you, so you're getting into music. When, when did you really get into playing it? During high school? No. Uh, I would say I after. started playing by the age of 10. Oh, Okay, okay. What are you playing at 10? Uh, guitar and drums. And then and Did um, you have a guitar? Did you have a drum set? Well, I had I did get a guitar. I got an electric court guitar. How did how'd you get it? Your parents? Um, newspaper route? Well, I had a beater acoustic that my babysitter gave me and she was super stoked. Okay. And she was she was very rock and roll. And um and then I, you know, asked my parents for an electric guitar. And then a friend of the family gave me an amplifier. And then I started doing odd chores and things to get money and bought a few drums. I didn't have a full kit, but I was Where did you playing play? drums. Where did I play? Yeah, in your bedroom or the garage, yeah. your basement. Yeah, I had to play the drums outside. But, you know. <laughs> outside? Yeah. In the open air? In the open air, so I'd drag all my stuff out there. And, yeah, what about the neighbors? Know. Well, where I lived at that particular time. Oh, it was, it was cool. It, okay. Yeah, it was cool. It was outside. There was no one around. But then I <laughs> lost all that stuff in a move. And Okay. Uh, when you got your guitar, did you take lessons? Or, all, all, or did you learn off of, like, copying off records? I copied off of records, yeah. and then I joined a cover band when I was um, 11. And I was really? a singer. Mm-hmm. How old were the other people? They were 16 through 19. So you're, you're and, the young um, one. Got 11 years old yeah. in a band yeah. full of teenagers. And you're the singer. Uh-huh. I was the lead singer. Now, did you do I any so singing fun. before? Well, I mean, just, you know, I was always singing. I'm always singing. I sing all but, the time. Yeah, but you told me you weren't in the choir myself. or anything like that. Singing at church no. or stuff. No, just singing on your own, right? Yep. Autodidact. Yeah. That's okay. That's... Believe me. I, I, I just want to, you know, all the people I've had on the show, there's no 
two journeys through music that have been the same. So that's why I ask no. these kind of things. No, I And I want to show not. the listeners, you know, in case they're a little scared. Yeah. See all these different ways to do it, people? Try it. That's that's why I'm asking these questions. No fear. There's, there's in a way, no wrong answer. You know? No, there's no rules. There's no wrong answer. With there's music. no wrong answer. So, you know? okay, so do you remember your first gig? Were you, were you doing gigs at, at 11? Yes, I did my first gig with that band at 11. What was that and, like? What uh, was it? It was awesome. It was a big outdoor um, party. And uh, it was also like one of the first times I ever smoked pot. And it fucked me up. I got through the set. I played the set first and didn't do that. But then, you know, I was mingling around and kind of got kind of got into that. And then I don't remember much else. But <laughs> well, what about amazing. what about the it gig itself? Good. The gig was great. And you guys did so, copy songs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did Damn. some cool stuff, too. We did, like, Loudness and Virgin Steel and Rat and Grim Reaper and stuff like that. You know, it was the 80s. So it was, like, 80s rock and metal. And loudness? You're stuff. talking about the metal band from Japan? Loudness, yeah. Uh-huh. I think they're still around. Akira Takasaki. Yeah, yeah, right. right. I love those guys. I love them. <laughs> well, you know what? A lot of 10-year-olds probably didn't know about loudness, even if it was the 80s. <laughs> no. That, that was pretty no, deep. Especially, your, your friends yeah. were pretty hip. Yeah. Yeah, it was, they were. And so that's where, to answer your question about, you know, how I kind of learned. Yeah, I learned a lot about guitar from my friend Eric Lowe, who okay. I'm still friends with. And, um, that's great. Yeah, he, he taught me a lot. He was really, really good. And... Uh, and I just would just constantly hang out with him. And, you know, before long, you know, I was well on my own and writing songs by 12, you know. Do you remember so, the first song you wrote? Uh, maybe not the first song. I remember the first good song I wrote, which is called <laughs> uh, Sleeping Death, which you can find it on YouTube. It's a song called Sleeping Death. First song I Sleeping wrote Death. was called Mr. Uh, Bass, King of Outer Space. Wow. It, yeah, and I only wrote one song as a one or two, you know, maybe I tried to do some other one, but and this was about like the bass player does a solo that's so big it blows the rest of the band off the stage. <laughs> Obviously I was having issues, you know. Uh, <laughs> that sounds there was awesome. in the older days or my younger days, there was a real hierarchy to who played what in the fucking band. <laughs> Thank God D Boone tore all that up. But anyway, uh, I forgot to ask you, what was the first record you bought for yourself? First record I ever bought for myself was Black Sabbath Star Gold. And Star it had Gold? A, I don't Star know Gold. It was, a, I think, a German import. It had a picture of Geezer Butler on the front. Only the him. <laughs> had a great big import sticker. And the guy at the record store says, yeah, you can't get that record anywhere else. And I was like, oh, man, I want that so bad. And I like had to do a bunch of stuff. And I finally went down and paid for it. And it was like a compilation. Huh? Was it kind of an anthology? Yeah. 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 It had like basically stuff from Black Sabbath 1 to Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. That's about it. That's kind of where I I liked them up to. I saw... California Jam, and they played some songs off Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. After that, I didn't really, yeah. But those first uh, 
four or five records, five records, really incredible. Especially, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, especially a uh, big effect on me. I mean, Master Reality kind of recorded small, but really good stuff. <laughs> uh, really, yeah, the bass. Uh, Geezer Butler, big influence on me. What was the first gig you saw? Judas Priest. I saw their first uh, gig. Uh, I saw. Th maybe it was that tour. I saw them play. Uh, their first uh, SoCal gig was at the Whiskey A Go Go. If you can believe it. And That's Gary amazing. Gary Valentine opened right the original oh, bass player from wow. Blondie. Yeah, it was this little pop trio opened up for Judas Priest and Bob Halford. That's man, amazing. he could just barely stand up. He was so choked out of his mind, but he could Aww. sing. God damn, his voice. It was so intense. It was, uh, what was the album? Sad Wing. It had like some wow. fallen angel on the cover, right? Sad Wings I'm of Destiny jealous. or something. I'm jealous. I love that record. It might I have been. Early yeah, I think the big song was The Ripper. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I think, so, I think it was the same tour that you, was your first gig. No. It was staying class. It was a little later. 79? Okay. Mm -hmm. Then maybe... That would have been 76, I think, when you saw him, probably. No, no, I know it wasn't 76, because I, okay. I hadn't gone to the whiskey till punk movement. I see. You know, so maybe 77 or 78, and I remember yeah. staying class. That was later on. It was later on. Mm -hmm. This yeah, one was, actually, there was a, this is the first one they released here, because they had an album in England, right, called Rock mm -hmm. and Roller or some shit with a razor blade on the cover. That's my favorite. But the one that that was, yeah, I think that was before Sad Wings, and then the, the one after that you did a Joan Baez cover or something. Yeah, right. That's awesome. <laughs> Green Malagi, Malagi, she used that uh, Fleetwood Mac. Anyway, I want to talk about you, <laughs> not so much Judas Priest, but that, but that's I'll interesting. I mean, uh, uh, who 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 uh, turns you on to that gig? Like, hey, the priest is playing. You know, I had a. Um a friend of the family's who was kind of a bad boy and he was super sweet to me though. And he would come pick me up on Saturday mornings and take me for car rides in a Chevy Nova. And we would go like 90 miles an hour back country roads. And he had a Craig power play eight track and he would play like Judas priest Sabbath, you know, Thin Lizzy, Bad Company, all that stuff from the 70s. And, you well, know, that's company, where I got turned on to that stuff. Bad Company was big on the radio. They were pretty radio friendly. Those other bands, not so much. But they were big, big gigs, draws. Anyway, at the yeah. uh, end of uh, first hour, May 13, 2019, Dish Peter Show special guest, Lisa Belladonna, hold tight for hour two. May 13, 2019, it's the second hour of the Watt Pedro Show.
watch as I walk away Like I did again yesterday
Off for Pedro Show, start off the second hour with conclusions from Lisa Belladonna, then uh, Stefano Polia, the last tune off his latest record, inspired by our poet friend Dante. It's called Melusina, and uh, you know, those days, a guitar man for Sonia de Mainaio. He was in Pedro back in January with Fatel Paolo. We recorded third Sonia de Mainaio album. The Fiction After That with Dream Number Six, the late great Josh Michelle of Strong Beach. And then Nightfall, Lisa Belladonna. Lisa, when, when did you get into recording? I got into recording when I was probably 14 or 15. What did you have like for a machine? I had two Sanyo cassette decks. Ah, so you, you would bounce. You know, Lou Barlow did that. You just play it, right? So it's the microphone picks it up. Well, I had I had collected the two tape decks, and then I had a Tronics PA with spring reverb. And so I would play, I would record onto one deck and do some editing. Right. And then I would um, play it through the PA, play drums with it, and then Mike had two little microphones that went into the other cassette deck. Sure. And then I would play that to the other cassette deck, and then I would just keep doing that over and over until you know <laughs> it just turned you. into <laughs> turned into garbage, you know. A lot of but hits. then I got someone loaned me. But still, and, you were uh, doing the sound on. You were doing the Les Paul thing, sound on sound. That's it. Beautiful, you know. And then somebody, fun. and then somebody, what lent lent you something? Oh, they lent me a. Uh, yeah, it was a really nice one. It was a a Fostex four track cassette, and. uh it changed, kind of changed my game, you know? And yeah. then I basically went from that to working in a jingle studio, you know? Um, Where? And it was a, No, uh, in a place called Marietta, Ohio. Okay. A jingle So like little commercial things and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I edited tape and cut commercials together and... Oh, they, okay. You know, so on the technical side, yeah, great. Oh yeah, I mean, they threw me. Well, I thought maybe you were singing or playing, you know. Also, well, I did that too. Okay. Um, that's basically, you know, I taught at this music store, and the people that owned the music store, they had a couple of. You stores. became a music teacher. Yeah, by a wow. Teacher, yeah. <laughs> How? Well, I left home at fifteen. Okay. So I had to make money. Sure, you know? sure, sure. And and I did other stuff. You know, it wasn't nearly as cool as teaching music so what you teach guitar guitar and bass mm-hmm. bass guitar too that's I, right i didn't yeah. know i didn't know I, I you know i'm working on this mind reading thing until then you still got to use words but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. uh, no you know all of a sudden my ears you know you say bass guitar okay so when did you, did you get on bass guitar oh i don't remember Okay. It just came natural, you know, and I I played in bars too. Shit, you know, you know I, I played a guitar with four, Lisa. You got to understand, I played a guitar for like three years with four strings. I didn't even know what a real bass was. I mean, so I, I saw them on album covers. I didn't know they had bigger strings. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing it was is, sixteen is I had, when I finally figured out a bass had bigger str- bass meant bottom. It meant low. <laughs> I had right. no idea. Well, I had a piano class that. You know, like basically the teachers were taking notice, you know, like in school, you know, I mean, it was a joke, but basically I would do 
the whole week's lessons in one day so I could go play the piano. Because if you could get done with the lessons yeah. on the little electric, like they had like these electric organs that were all connected together with headphones. Yeah. And if we got done with that, then we could go practice on the piano. So I would just churn through the lessons for the whole week. Sure. And that way I could go sit and play the piano. And, um, and so I would just sit there and compose and write and practice. And, you know, I had, what about this tune here? What about this tune here? Oh yeah. The left hand is the bass, of course. So you, you, yeah, you understood Uh, this tune impressions for MOOC synthesizer, 16 millimeter film and magnetic tape. Is it kind of self-explanatory? Yeah, pretty much so.
so weary and so tired I'm waiting Lord I'm dying violence holds the scene below people
Waff for Pedro Show. Yeah, impressions for Mook Synthesize 60mm film and magnetic tape, Lisa Belladonna. Then uh, some live Spain with uh, Lorelai, Petra Hayden. Her brother Josh is in space. Spain, Sorry. the band. <laughs> the, uh, they're in a dream. And then finally, Lisa Belladonna with uh, Rom, <laughs> Rom Menard's Glung. Rom Menard's Glung. <laughs> I mean, Z-Q-H-L. I mean, that, that's that's a diphthong there. That's a consonant diphthong. God damn. How do you... Z-Q... Z-Q-H-L. How you say that? It means a story within a story. Okay. In which language? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Geschichte, I think, is a story in German, so... Synthesizer story. Yeah, synthesizer story. You know, look, mm-hmm. you, uh, when we were off air, you were offering me insights about this uh, Impressions tune. And, uh, talk about it. It's an interesting story. Sure. Um, initially, it was for um, the Moog Synthesizer Company. They just put out a new uh, semi-modular synthesizer called the Matriarch that I um, was. Per- I participated in the promotional film for it, in the actual film, and did like the opening music for it. Um, one of the things I wanted to offer them is they really loved the analog aesthetic with my work and my studio. So I thought, well, I would do a piece with this instrument straight to magnetic tape and then give it really the tape treatment, if you will, you know, rubbing up against the capstan and things like that. And, you know, tape filtering with the, you know, the parametric EQs and just, it just creates a very picturesque sound that goes well with ta- with film and tape and and stuff like that. So there's little bits of it that I'm, they wound up using, you know, wound up using in the film, but most of it's you know just from the shoot that I did with them. And but then, I wanted them least, to have it at their disposal. How, how did you make the connect? How did I meet the Mo guys? Oh, that's a good question. I would say over the years working with Earthquaker devices. Um, oh, that's right, Akron, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I met them in L.A. You know, a handful of times, and then good in people. Nashville. I met some of them too. They're they're bitching people. Respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're great people. So, so this is you're talking. This is kind of recent, then. The oh yeah, this is like this thing just came out like two weeks ago. So, <laughs> wow, really? <recent>. So <laughs> part of part of the whole thing with Afternoon Dreams, the album, is basically I I wasn't able to go to Moog Fest. And I had just done the video for them, and they released the video right before Moogfest. So what I decided to do is, since I had was smart about it when I had the Matriarch in my hands for a little bit, I'm still waiting to get mine, I recorded everything that I did with the intention of making it into a musical piece. You know, I didn't, like, really just fuck around on it. I really played everything I could, you know, come up with yeah. on the top of my head. So every day of Moogfest, I released a track on YouTube every day of Moogfest over the four days. And on the Sunday of, of Moogfest, the closing, I released a double album set of music featuring that synthesizer and other Moog synthesizers. And, and what, mm-hmm. makes, yeah. uh, what makes this Matriarch synthesizer different? Well, um, I mean, it's, it's a semi-modular, which means you can do a lot of expansive things with it in terms of modulation possibilities and panning of it in stereo. 
Um, it's paraphonic. It has you can play four voices, so it has a very vintage sort of approach to it, which I like. That's really my style, and it sounds phenomenal. It is a beautifully rich filter and output gain. You know, the output stage is really clear, so it makes for a really beautiful soundscapes. And what about tuning? Tuning? Because um, wasn't that a problem, a problem of the old analog? Well, they've refined the power the power supplies. That's the biggest problem with like you know I have a lot of old gear too. Okay. And the the really the bottom line is just replacing the power supplies and you know replacing caps and resistors and things like that. So you know the basically it gets proper voltage. If a unit gets proper voltage, then it's going to stay in tune. You know, uh, you know, Tom Feck. He goes under the name Tobacco, and he's got a band called Black Moss Super Rainbow. Yeah, yeah. He's out of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and he's way into these mm-hmm. old analog synthesizers. You told me that was a big problem was the tuning. So maybe I'm... I I'll, mean, sometimes. Maybe you know, I'll I mean, hip I'm him to the fact about this, this thing about the power supplies. Because that makes good sense. You know, I got a degree in electronics. I understand what you mean. Because they probably... Everything's, you know, rooted to the the power it's getting. So if that's in, stable in one place, maybe the tuning stays stable. Well, it's called subtractive synthesis for a reason. You know, basically you're scaling down the voltage per each thing that you're doing with it, you know. And so in order to do that, you need it to be stable so you can properly, you know, kind of like sculpting. You know, you sculpt the sound from a big bulk of tone into something that's musical or visual or textural or, you know, whatever your intention is, you know. Sounds good. We're at the end of the second hour, May 13, 2019. This is Wap Pedro Show. Special guest, Lisa Belladonna. Hold tight for hour three. May 13, 2019. It's the third hour of the Wap Pedro Show.
My first real deep crush girlfriend is cool and smart and funny. Many fine qualities. Unfortunately, fidelity is not one of them. Something for the moment It's nothing I can count on 
nothing for the moment Man, I think you got it wrong Why well, for Pedro Show, we start the third hour off with Lisa Belladonna doing Mountain Lake Wilderness then Safe Word with Switch. And Chris Butler, he's, I think he's living in Akron now, but Cleveland a long time, with convenience. He had a band called The Waitresses okay. a while ago. And so, yeah, some Cleveland connect. You know. Also know John yeah. Petro, uh, Petrovich in uh, Cleveland, uh, Copa Verde, his band. There's a lot of good musicians out of Ohio. Incredible. A lot of good cats. And I think it's the only state with a pennant. Everybody else has got flags. <laughs> <laughs> so you you got a festival you you're gonna play really quick coming up right? That's right. T- tell us about it. Monolith on the Mesa. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, Where's the Mesa? Us, um, it's in New Mexico. Okay, okay. I was wondering because really famous the three Mesas right for the Hopis. It's mm-hmm. probably not one of those, but. And uh, for you people, listeners, Mesa is Spanish for table, but it's kind of a rock formation, too, that looks like a fucking table or UFO landing site or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it looks like it's going to be a really awesome event. I mean, and Daniel Sanchez has been, uh, he's one of the main people behind it, and he's been a pleasure to, to deal with and to help put things together and such. And So I'm very excited to be a part of it. You know Absolutely. What? The big maces, the three maces for the Hopis, they're actually in Arizona. What an idiot. But what, what, I get a lot of my uh, Kachina dolls in New Mexico, so that's why my, my twisted mind twisted that up. And actually, they're made by Navajos and Zunis. They just dug the Hopi thing so much, you know. You know about these yeah. little dolls? They, they're uh, little dolls of the uh, when they dress up as... Uh, like, the gods don't rule over them, right? They kind of live near them. So there's a corn one, and there's a sun one, and a cloud one, and a bean one. and It's really interesting. Uh, but uh, I think the only uh, one of the few matriarch, talking about that synthesizer name, the Hopi people were matriarch. <laughs> Matriarchal, I should say. So, okay, uh, how, how can people find out about this festival? Is there a website? Yes. I believe it's just monolithonthemesa.com. You can find it on Instagram under Monolith on the Mesa. Um, and yeah, Monolith, we're talking. Playing it, the Obsessed. Obsessed what, uh, we're, are on we're, it. We're, we're talking Monolith. Are we talking like Stanley Kubrick 2001? <laughs> Remember, the Monolith know, is always so. checking in. It's always checking in on the, the development of the humans, right? That's right. Really well, was bizarre. I'm definitely going to take them to space. You know, yeah, I, that's I, my, I, I, ask, I, I ask people this question all the time. And the opening scene, right? The, or I guess our forebears are playing around with bones and they find out you can murder with it. And then they throw. Mm-hmm. I think his name's Bone Crush. One of them's got a name, even, right? And they, he throws the bone into the air. And then what does it turn into? I don't, I don't know. Everybody says a spaceship, but if you read Mr. Clark's book, you know it's, well, it's a spaceship, but it's not people, it's a nuclear weapon. Oh. Yeah, and in, in, in the book, it's just generic, you know, but Stanley Kubrick made sure there was U.S. markings on it. <laughs> yeah, because they try to kill the star child with it. 
It's not that apparent oh. in the movie, but if you read the book, you know about this. But everybody thinks it's just a spaceship. It's actually a nuclear weapon. So I try to hit people with that. Uh, so so in, in w- what day are you playing this monolith on the Mesa? Um, it's the 17th. And we're at 13, so in four days. That's right. You're going to drive there? I'm flying now. Yeah, okay. I'm driving there. <laughs> No. Not just over the Rockies. <laughs> yeah, no. Now, look, I want to play the Storm Weaver. What can oh, you tell yeah, me about this? This too. That's a fun one. You want to tell me something about this tune before I play it? Yeah, absolutely. This Storm Weaver, basically, that whole record, Circulus, was a record that I made um, just a couple of weeks ago, and we had some really, really, really gorgeous weather um, where I live. And just outside of my studio, there I have like a deck, you know, for a very long wooden deck. And so I just decided, you know, the forecast looked perfectly clear. So I decided to go ahead and um, just set up a rig out, like a performance rig outside. And um, just sent cables into the studio and basically did most of that record live. And um, so basically I, you know, just watched the sundown and, you know, and just kind of developed. I had some of the ideas for the record already in my head musically, you know, and I just, you know, got the sequencers dialed up and, you know, I have a old Mellotron and a digital Mellotron and, you know, a big pedal board of earthquake devices stuff and kind of wanted to just keep it very simple for as elaborate of a rig as it is. I have a series of chimes and bells and gongs and then i always have a couple of reel-to-reel decks in my performance rig when i can uh for different kinds of things either sometimes synthesizer sounds really complex clustery sounds or field recordings that i can run through the synthesizers you know and their filters and stuff and um yeah so yeah i did that record outside which made it gave it a whole other aesthetic
Space Cadet 
What for Bebo Show? Yeah, Stormweaver from Lisa Belladonna. Just recently done. And then finally, Space, Space Cadets 1.0 from Needle Drop. Uh, where can people find out about you on the internet, Lisa? They can find out about me at lisabelladonna.com or lisabelladonna at Bandcamp or lisabelladonna2600 on Facebook or on uh, Instagram under my name. I'm so glad you got your own website. I mean, it's okay to put flyers up on those other telephone poles. But having your own, you know, that's the fanzine aesthetic, you know, or ethic or whatever the fuck. No, no, no nobody in between. I think yeah, you all, all should have them. Yeah, it's like having your own fanzine, right? That stuff yeah. in the 70s, it didn't die. It just changed no. uh, a format. That's <laughs> you it. don't have to go to Kiko's. You pay the ISP mm-hmm. guy instead. Uh, after this festival, what's your next plan? Uh, I'm going to Japan uh, okay. for a week, and I'm going to go on tour with Boris. Wow, great band. Mm-hmm. Fucking yeah, great band. I'm I played a, a lot of that stuff the, here on the show. Boris. I gave Takeshi, yeah. the bass brother, uh, Watt Plower. They're made in Toledo, you know, uh, the Reverend Guitars. Yes. And uh, I gave him one because uh, they said to me, uh, I'm, I got a new model came out, so I gave him a whole one. But good luck on your voyage there. It's been beautiful having you on the show. I love your music. I love the, your adventurous spirit. Thank you, know, you, Mike. I want you to keep on keeping it. on. Please. Absolutely. Okay, people. It's been the May 13, 2019 edition of the Watt for Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>